Ladies and gentlemen, we are live from an undisclosed location in a basement somewhere in West Ridge. Bringing well, to you J3 <laughs> Amateur Hour podcast. Jordan, take it away. Welcome, everybody, to the J3 Amateur Hour podcast. I am your host, Jordan. I'm here with... Yoel. This is Josh. Guys, we have a very special episode. We've got a very distinguished and good-looking doctor coming on. His name is Dr. Jonathan Rich. But first, we've got some housekeeping item, guys. Do we want to talk about the milestone we hit? Please. I think it. we can reveal it. We've never revealed before, you know, the extent or whatever, the listenership. And we're not trying to pat our own backs, but I think we are proud of something that we reached this morning. Yoel. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the honors. Of saying well, of the reveal, I do have a question about the reveal, but <laughs> but but before we get to that, the reveal is we actually we, they actually surpassed ten thousand listens. Ten thousand. You know, listens. we have to thank for that, by the way. Who Yoni Lipschitz? Yes, <laughs> we'd be at nine thousand nine hundred twenty without him. Yes, so we did hit that. I guess people can figure out the average on their own, but obviously it's uh, you know it's grown over time, and we appreciate the listens, the feedback that we've gotten. And I do want to point out a couple of things. First of all, I do have a question on that, though. Okay, uh, yeah. just don't here roll your eyes at me. Don't. Uh, here we go, <laughs> Oski. Yes, there you go. Thank you. I know I've been accused in the past of you know I've posted some videos on social media, and some of them have over like a thousand views. And I've been accused of like watching my own video like 700 times. So uh, is this like a thousand different listens? Let's say I would listen to an episode twice. Does that show as two listens or is that just because it was like, you know, listened on my one, you know, device, it's considered one? I don't know. You can email Spotify. No, or I, I, I don't or whatever. think you can no count idea. for more than one. I, don't, I wouldn't think that. Okay. I, have no idea. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a distinct device. Okay. So if you listen to a computer and a phone, I think that would be two listens. Because I usually set all my all my devices just like to play it, and then I just walk out of the room on a loop. Yes. <laughs> okay. Cool, y'all. All you. right. Moving on. Number one. Remember, we got a lot of good feedback after this past episode. It seems like people listened and did reach out via email, and that email again is j three amateurhour at gmail .com. So first, I do have an ad, and it does relate to uh, last week's episode. That is this. Yaakov Ray, the nine-year-old son of David and Brittany Ray, runs an amazing service where Sunday afternoon he takes your garbage cans to the curb and Monday afternoon he returns them back to their spot for you. I don't know if this is an ad. I think it's just a description. But he is very responsible and great at his job. He would love to get more clients if you would like to contact either of his parents to book him for next week. David Ray, 773-454-5654. Brittany Ray, 248-497-7020. Two zero. Please hit up Yakov for your garbage disposal needs. I think I'm definitely gonna reach out. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Wait, to be clear, is this only for Lincolnwood? That's a good question. Yeah, I was wondering, like, also, like, does it have to be with, like, with, like, on his block? Or can he, like, ride his bike over, like, four blocks to my house? Or I'm assuming like he could. Okay, right. It doesn't have to. Yeah, yeah. she wouldn't have emailed me to read this right, on air if it was just, just for the block. block. Right. Okay, that, that sounds good. Actually, by around Tuesday, I already had all my three garbage cans full. Now I'm just loading my garage with garbage bags. Let's say they don't quote a price. How much are you willing to pay Yaakov Ray to take out your garbages and return them? Problem is, I don't trust anybody. Like, I, <laughs> I don't think it's going to get done. Like, I, I usually set, like, I, I make sure I'm there when the garbage man arrives to make sure that he has everything. And then, like, sometimes I'll leave, like, other garbage bags in my garage. And, like, while he's there, I'll, like, run him in and out and bring my garbage bags. Let me ask a question. Do you have to bring the cans out by a certain time Monday before getting fined? Or yeah. No? Uh, not, oh, no. I, yeah, I'm not sure how that works. I was told you can't leave them out there or you'll get 
Like, right. So he's probably at school. Right. I'm assuming. So when's he right, so back? I think when he comes back from school on Monday. But Monday I'm afternoon. I, Is that yeah. too late? Or you can you can. No. Yeah. Sure. They're picked up on Monday. All right, so what is right. it? Monday morning. They're not no. checking until Tuesday. Okay. Okay, so Yoel, I'm going to do the deal right now. You're interested, right? Very much so. Okay, it's 150 bucks a week. Are you fine with that? Will he, like, spray the cans on the inside? Jordan, you could have said, like, $10,000. No, 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 no. I'm trying to be realistic. 150. 150? 150. Will he bring back to the side? I, you know yeah, part of it. I part would do 150. Of it, yeah. I would like him to train my family members the difference between <laughs> garbage and recycling. Because I come in there and then it's it's all over the place and I just feel like the garbage man is gonna look at what's in my bins and refuse to pick it up because there's like bottles in my garbage and there's garbage in my recycling. So if he can train my family members, then I'm in for one fifty. Okay, mo- okay, moving on. Oski, <laughs> um, hit up Yakov Ray. All right, now another great listener. Jordan, well, do you recycle by the way in, in West Rogers Park? I do recycle. Certain cities. It's a point of contention between me. My my wife's from California, and she's they're very into recycling. Right, and I'm not. I you know Chicago did not have recycling until somewhat recently, right in the last decade, I think. Correct. And I feel like it's a farce, and they don't actually do anything. So. I have no issues throwing a can into the regular garbage. Right. But I also think it's strange because a lot of cities, as you mentioned, everyone is like into like recycling and you put in this garbage bag in the house and they have two different garbage bags. But I feel like because even though our children now grew up with recycling bins, but they see that their parents don't know the difference between recycling bins, so the children also. So I think Chicago's a lost cause. They also used to have like metal cans, right? Not these plastic. Oh, I remember those. Remember yeah, those? those metal ones, yeah. yeah. My you in-laws have like actually have, um, my in-laws have a compost can. Well, they're from California. Of yeah, course. but like, have you ever heard of that? No. Like to put compost? Uh, I, I don't even know, know what that means. Do you know that like, uh, pizza boxes are not considered recycling? You have to put them in regular garbage. I just found that out. I just throw it all in there. If it seems like recycling to me, I'm putting in the recycling. I agree. Can. I've gotten a warning before. <laughs> For in Chicago? Like a note left. Yeah. By wow. who? I don't know. Groot, whoever does it. They walk around leaving notes. I don't know. Okay, guys, another loyal friend and listener of the pod uh, reached out. That would be Ari Reich. And he sent me a great YouTube video on the subject that we talked about last week, which was disappearing. And if you ever had to be on the run, fugitive type of situation, you have to disappear. And I watched the YouTube video. It was uh, 15 minutes about some type of ex-CIA expert on, you know, like how to disappear and where to go. So number one, he did confirm Yoel's contention that you should go to a medium-sized city. Oh, beautiful. He said, too big of a city, I'll give the reasons why not. And then too small of a city, you stand out. Right. Oh. This basically is the conclusion of the advice he gave. Okay. You don't want a city that's like twenty-five to 50,000 people. You want over 100,000. Okay. Number one, you, you need to tell people and the people that you know and friends and family, you got to give them a reason why you're going, right? Either you're mad at them, you're breaking up, whatever the case is, because if not, and you just disappear, then they're going to file a missing persons report. The police are going to start looking for you. You know, they'll put that stuff out. But that's if you're not if you're not a fugitive. I mean, if you're a fugitive, they're looking for you anyway. Right. Yes. Okay. Let's say there's a threat against you. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, the next thing is you don't rent an apartment. You rent a house. Okay, that's a good why, point. Why? Oh, because you're because not apartments, yeah. a, apartment management companies, credit checks, all that stuff. Apartment management companies have like databases, and they put your information in and everything. Whereas he said you should find a mom and pop rental management company that would accept a cashier's check. You don't want to go to a big city because there's a lot more paperwork and information that you have to provide to get approved to rent and stuff like that. New York City, I don't know if you've ever rented there. 
Okay. The other thing is you need a bigger city because you don't want a vehicle. You don't want a car. You don't want to lease a car, own a car, because again, you get pulled over your license, you know, it's a fake license. So you want a bigger city that has good public transportation. And the last is you got to get a burner phone. Very good. I always okay. just wanted to buy a phone to break it. You know, like when they snap it, snap like a flip it, yeah. phone? Like in Breaking Bad? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The doctor, our guest, has arrived. Let's call him up. Jonathan Rich. Welcome, John Rich, to the podcast. John, to give the listeners a feel of who we're dealing with here, John is an associate professor of medicine at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. He serves as the medical director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program, as well as the program director of the Advanced Heart Failure and Transplant Fellowship Program at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago. Welcome. Wow. Uh, <laughs> You're saying wow to your own No, bio? that's my line. Yeah, right. I've, I've, I've heard that actually. No, just uh, I've always been impressed with the, uh, with your research skills on, uh, on this podcast. It's called Google. 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 <laughs> that, that, that one was probably pretty easy, but no, thanks. Great to see you guys. Thank you for having me. John, thanks for coming out. Absolutely. This great is, being uh, here with the, with the great doctor. Yeah, very exciting. Very exciting day for us. Okay, so John grew up primarily with Yoel, but my relationship to John actually goes back further than any of you guys. Do you know that? I do not. Do okay. tell. John's father, Stuart Rich, went for his internship or fellowship at the Washington University in St. Louis. Is that correct? That is right. Yeah. He befriended one of uh, an old close friend of his there, a fellow doctor by the name of Raymond Bass. Hmm. Raymond Bass is, uh, they remain good friends, and that would be my father's brother. So my uncle and aunt come in from Bethesda, Maryland every year. And in fact, last year, I recall that my aunt Vivian went out with uh, John's mom, Andrea Rich, to Emma's last year. So our connection goes back further. Amazing. <laughs> Sad <laughs> that you're not aware of that. You didn't do your homework for this uh, interview. I didn't, but I was a little worried that you were going to make reference to the possibility that some ancestor of mine <laughs> fell down an elevator shaft. Oh, or, so you've listened some, to them. I've listened to a few. They're, uh -huh. they're really good. So um, I want to stay in the present more yeah, for gotcha. this one. No, okay, so we'll see where this goes. That's but, good stuff. John, tell us a little bit about growing up. You're from Skokie, and you are from Yoel's class. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. No, I'll tell you a little bit. First of all, it's just... Great to be here seeing you guys. Don't see you guys enough. So thanks again. Yeah, I grew up in Skokie. That's because you're busy working. <laughs> busy working, yeah. <laughs> doing doing some different things. Um, yeah, grew up in Skokie. Actually, so born in St. Louis, by the way, just for what Ooh, it's worth. There so, we go. Uh, Jordan, you a, couldn't find that out? A little nugget there. In fact, in Yoel, I guarantee you will we'll recall this. So born in St. Louis, my parents moved to Chicago when I was like two or three years old. Is and the story going to be 1985? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so of course. So, right? Spot on. But so, so went to Hill Altora, and um, I'll just pause there for a second. 1985, the St. Louis Cardinals are in the World Series against the Kansas City Royals. So my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, they're still in St. Louis. And this, these were the days where like 
I think you you can like just go through air, your parents can take you through airport security like you just walk up to the plane and I'm eight or nine years old and I basically it was going to St. Louis because they got me a ticket to go to the World Series and so I go it's pretty awesome I actually remember the details of the game were you a Cardinals fan well I was not a Cardinals fan per se, but I started to become a bit of a Cardinals fan as often might happen when you're that age. That quickly passed, but I started to want to be a Cardinal fan. They were actually quite good. I still remember the details of the game. Again, I won't bore your audience. That would be George Brett versus Ozzie Smith? Uh, Effectively, uh, and a lot of other good players, William McGee, Jack Clark, uh, John Tudor pitched that game. Vince Coleman. Vince Coleman. I mean, no, really, that's exactly right. I mean, they stole bases like crazy. John Tudor threw a 3 nothing shutout that game. Anyways. Any backflips? Uh, Ozzy probably did a backflip yeah. when he came out, or maybe just game one. Convince him like 110 stolen bases. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. you know, the, 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 these yeah. days, right? You don't steal bases anymore in baseball. Right. Well, because this year that's changing. It is changing. But you, generally speaking, you know, it, it went back to the old Earl Weaver days where he used to say it's all about pitching defense and three run homers. You don't want to run yourself out of an inning. Anyways, that was pretty fun. I came back. I just remember like, yo, another the guys, they you know, just kind of like want to like touch me and stuff because <laughs> it was like, man, that makes, makes us feel like we were pretty close to the World Series. Anyways. I was there. It was like I was there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was funny. But so yeah, I grew up in Skokie, went to Hilatora. That's right. You know, met Yoel. Josh, were you you were at Hilatora yeah, as well, right? I was. You're Just older. a great a great older. But, but you, yeah. do you remember Josh in high school? <laughs> I think I do remember Josh a bit in Hilatora. I certainly knew Josh exceptionally well in, in high school. Right. We had somebody else who went to high school with Josh, and they did not re- recall him being in high school with Josh. Really? Um, that's because Rayleigh made sure they said that. Yes. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Josh. Yeah, definitely. I was friends with Josh in high school, and and but yeah. So grew up in Skokie. Yoel was in West Rogers Park, but obviously we were good friends in school and hung out and you know did that all kind of stuff and um but you didn't you didn't you didn't last long at hill <laughs> i thought we would go in there so i i lasted um into seventh grade okay and what happened then so it was time for <laughs> it was time for a change of scenery what, um, did, no, what didn't happen then is right the question. So, so look uh, first of all it's funny i don't know i don't know how you you were able to make it all the way through y'all y'all was y'all and i were very similar I just was sort of a notch more everything. Okay, meaning like, so we were both kind of troublemakers and probably had the same, we were probably on the same spectrum of some degree of ADHD, where at that time, no one really kind of diagnosed you with ADHD. They just called you like a bad kid or a troublemaker who couldn't sit still or something like that. And yeah, you know, my teachers always say, why don't you go take a walk? <laughs> yeah, we took yeah. walks. It was, I mean, think about it, guys. It's still crazy today, but I mean, how many of you can sit for eight consecutive hours, half of the stuff is either boring or half my teachers only spoke Hebrew. I didn't have a, a clue what they were saying. My mind is elsewhere. You know, they, they still today they give you gym once a week. You know, recess is six minutes. It, it's really right. whatever. That's a whole different story. The way education is in a in so, a school like sounds that. like excuses. You're, yeah, you're, you're making good points, but um, yeah. but how many of those kids were in the same kind of? Definition as you, yeah, you know, n- basically be John and Milstein. Yeah, yeah, the minority, <laughs> but, but but and he left the shach there. Yeah, but right, but a lot of kids, I think, frust were you know kind of struggle with it. Bottom line is, I was getting into trouble, mischievous stuff. By the way, never anything malicious, or I, th- I think you know nothing 
bad, just just the continued issues and, you know, the phone calls home and the notes home. <laughs> My parents were just like, this is crazy. The disciplinary notes. The disciplinary notes. You tried to... You Different tried. than deficiency notes. Correct. Yes. Yeah, yes, correct, yes, yes. right. I got many more disciplinary notes Same. than deficiency notes. But Did you used to get home, like try to go try home to get into the mailbox. The mail. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I probably, by the way, I probably snagged like 12 <laughs> or 13, <laughs> which just goes to show how many my parents actually... Which is a lot. Like Which is a lot. Yeah. People get like one or two a year. Yeah, I'm, yeah. We were it was, it was just, they just send you a disciplinary 30s, note yeah. and it was right in the mail, you know, John couldn't sit still and they sent it. Right, because there yeah. were no emails yeah, or like, yeah. you know, and they, no one had cell phones. It's interesting. My parents, and this is maybe, this maybe contributed to why this ended up happening, is they were both products of actually public schools. My father grew up in sort of a traditional borderline modern Orthodox home. My mother grew up in a very conservative, maybe at the time you'd even say it was close to reform type home. And then kind of decided that they wanted to raise a family in Orthodox Judaism after they got married. But but because of that, I think they they had great experiences in the public school system. So basically, we parted ways with Hill Torah and said... Uh, you think we're going to let you get away with parted ways? <laughs> so it was their choice? So to be clear, I, here's what I, here's what I recall. Keep in mind, I'm 12. Keep in mind, Jordan does his research. Yes, and I know. So I'm not, Keep in it, mind, I know about John, uh, the blind bus driver for bus two. Okay. <laughs> wow, you guys are really, really good. Um, We've you, heard about the beer, but go ahead. Okay, we can get there if you want. I'm not embarrassed by it. It is what it is. That's the only thing that was... Arguably close to felonious, <laughs> by the way. Okay, okay so just, just tell us about the beer. All right, the, all right we'll get to the beer. Um, <laughs> we'll so, get to the beer. No, by the way, this yeah. is funny. There's so I, I, this podcast is going to be ridiculous. I think you guys yes. have to edit this whole thing out. No, but, no we're going to go. We're okay, gonna be around two hours. So, yeah, so so easily. And, and Jordan, you, you're going to appreciate this now because even though I didn't remember crossing paths with you when we were like one in St. Louis or with <laughs> with our parents, but obviously you know you play softball. I played some softball, but my father was actually a really big and actually very good player in the softball league. In fact, there's a debate between him and Elliot Robinson who truly founded the league. And my father claims he was the first commissioner. I still remember back in the day, they'd all get together at my house and talk about teams and all that. Okay. Anyways, the, the lore of the Alter Cockers. That's right. Is, uh, that's right. And well known. That's right. Yes. There you go. Okay. So I have this recollection of my father coming home from a softball game you know, hot, sweaty, was 96 degrees. And he would sometimes go into the fridge and take a cold beer and drink a cold beer. And I'm a kid and I'm watching him do this. And I'd say, you know, can I taste that or something? I guess he let me have a taste. I probably hated it. It was the worst. I remember as a right? kid, like my father it was a beer with yeah. this, like, it's, like hard salami, it, like, oh, let me taste this. It was the it, worst It's, it's one of those ever. things you almost want to give your kids so that they don't do it, right? right? You just, at an age where they can't like it. So I remember trying it, whatever, coming to school and you have some ridiculous conversation with your buddies at recess, whatever. And at some point I said, oh yeah, I, I've had beer or something. Like, yeah, right. You've never had beers, no chance. You can't get access to beer. I'm like, absolutely I can. And I'm kind of playing it up a bit. So I needed to kind of, you know, <laughs> prove. So I- Jordan is salivating now. Yeah. So I, I remember one day going into the fridge, just grabbing one- beer, throwing it in my bag, coming to school. And then it's in my locker and like, you know, at recess or whatever. I'm like, guys, 
check it out. And I had I had a bottle of beer there <laughs> in school, and I still remember like different. This is what, like sixth grade, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And different kids coming by, and everyone trying to take a quick sip, and everyone had that bitter beer face, but pretending it was good, like you know, and all that. And what ended up happening is, you know, I brought the remaining part of it on the bus. Again, we were sort of in the back, and I, I don't know. The bottom line is, some kids caught wind that that was going on and then it hit me literally this is so classic i was like wait a second there is a chance i can get in tremendous trouble okay like just just to show you how you're not thinking right and like all it's gonna because i'm like um this is foolproof i'm gonna throw this like like i'm good i'm not gonna say the names of the kids but there was this bus stop and like all these kids get off at the bus stop and i remember saying them like guys whatever you do you cannot tell your parents that this happened. And one of the girls turns and looks at me and says, we're gonna. <laughs> and I'm like, I am hosed. Okay. So this is Friday. I remember this because it's Friday. And my mother, who's the greatest person on earth, but I still hold it against her a bit. She completely set me up <laughs> because I get home and it's one of those Fridays where the weather's nice. You're playing ball outside, et cetera, whatever. You get ready for Shabbos. And I guess she got some calls, didn't say anything to me. And we're at the Shabbos dinner table and she brings it up at the table. Like, so I heard <laughs> that somebody brought maybe beer to school today. And my dad is not in the loop. And he's like sitting there eating his soup and like kind of like, well, that's, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> like you know, that free, free yeah. frozen feeling, sinking feeling. And I just am like, oh uh, yeah, I think so. And whatever. And my dad's like, well, did, did someone like, he's like, well, just tell us what. I, so I just could, I was like, yeah, it, it, it was me. And oh my God, my dad, like, I think, I, because I think what was happening is that Every year, you know, I was getting in trouble in school, getting in trouble in school. But as I was alluding to, it was sticky stuff. It was just, it was immature, just kind of class clown stuff. And I think for him, he really did, wait, whoa, like, this is the kind of thing I, like, like, like alcohol, <laughs> like, we got to stop this. So he really hammered me big time. I'll never forget that. That wasn't fun. Okay, so, John, yeah. let me stop. resulted in a suspension, right? John, I don't let, even remember let if me, it did, let right? Me, let me stop yeah. you right there, John. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's very noble of a sixth grader to, you know, kind of fess up and admit liability. So, yeah. so when the school approached you, you did the same? To be frank, I don't recall... I know this sounds so crazy. Jo- Josh recalls. You know, you know who does recall? Who? Leora Strick. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. She recalls that when the bus driver, or maybe maybe it was the principal, said, or Ray Bruckenstein, I believe, yeah. said, who, "Who's the oh, one that oh, brought no, the beer on?" No, 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 no. You're mixing stories. What, what? What's what's that story that you mentioned? Someone else's yes. name. Oh, the, not the beer story. No, that's a different. That's a completely different story. <laughs> you oh, no, Josh, hold on, you ruined that. Hold one. on, hold no, on. Just well, take a step back. By the way, so, John was a savage <laughs> on the bus. Look, first of all, yo, you weren't on the bus. All right, this was. <laughs> I you. was on the bus with like. I was forced to take the RTA with Josh. Exactly. I was on the bus we with some good buddies. We used to play that truth or dare game, and the dares were always a little more fun. Which one of them was? And this guy, anyone was just don't ever do this. But it was like. I dare you to crawl under <laughs> the seats and grab the bus driver's leg <laughs> while he's driving. While he's driving the bus, I'm not kidding. Like that was one of the dares, and I'd be like, "Okay, I could totally pull this off." And there I am, like you know, like an army guy, you know, sliding through. So I, I don't think I actually ever went ahead with that, but 
Okay, I think I either got suspended or I didn't get suspended with the whole beer thing, and it kind of actually blew over. So that wasn't the reason you no, got expelled? No, it okay. was not, because, well, and so that was, again, that was- <laughs> It's six, odd that he didn't get thrown well, out of school right, right, alcohol right. That was not gonna, as a 12-year-old. Right, so that was in sixth grade. I'll just quickly mention the, and I've, by the way, to this day, I, I didn't, thanks, Josh, I didn't think about this for years, Please. but now it's bringing back some sad memories for me <laughs> because we had a substitute bus driver for a few days. And if you think a substitute teacher is bad, <laughs> just think about the substitute bus driver. Again, we're jumping around on the bus. We're doing all this stuff. And so the guy couldn't take it anymore. So as we were getting off the bus, he started taking names. And as I'm getting off the bus, uh, he goes, he goes, hey, oh, you, 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 like, <laughs> particularly you, right? Like, what's your name? So I, like, in, again, like, in a, in a moment of, like, reflexive, how do I get out of this? Because I know I'm walking on a on thin ice at Olatoro. And so I, I gave the name, I gave a, a name of a kid who happened to be on that bus who was like in second grade. And he's like, happens to be the most innocent, sweet, skinny little kid. The name isn't a classic Orthodox Jewish name. In fact, the last name, because I remember the bus driver going, thinking I made it up and saying, that's not a Jewish name. I go, what? It sure is. Goes, okay, fine. <laughs> so he takes it down. I go home thinking everything's fine. The next day in school is like, I think you like the, you go to the gym and they go, okay, you know, um, everyone to your customers, except bus two, <laughs> like bus two, please line up on the outside of the gym. And it's like, okay. And I go out there and it's like, oh no, the substitute bus drivers there with broken oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and yes. And he has the list. Like a lineup. And so, yes. And so he starts calling out the names like this guy, come over here, this guy, come over here. And then I still, <laughs> I'm I getting was, like nervous for you now. Yeah, right? Right? I remember they get to the last name. The two of them, Bruckenstein and the bus driver are like whispering, like debating, like this can't be. So then Bruckenstein turns to the kid and goes, Jackson. <laughs> and the kid is like, what? And he's like, you were misbehaving on this bus. And the kid was obviously not this. He was the sweetest kid. And he is like about to break down. He's about to send the kid over to like, okay, Siberia. And I just, again, my heart was bleeding already for this kid. And I'm like, no, I can't let that happen. So I go, but, uh, Rabbi, I go, it, it was me. I, I gave that name. It wasn't him and all that. And like, he looks at me and it's like, he basically at that point, I feel like he just dismissed everybody but me. He's like, all right, we got the guy. It's like, you know, like, you're, like, you know you're trying to get people to fess up and then you'll give them what's it called immunity or whatever. So um, that might've been close to the last straw, but what ended up happening is you know, a series of meetings probably where the administration was like, look, this is just not working out. And my parents were like, we agree. <laughs> so they were like, okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to send him to Schechter? So my parents were like, no, we're going to send him to public school. And apparently they were like, wait a second, maybe we can work this out. Like, I think they were really scared a, of any kid going to public school, probably yeah. me, you know, in particular going to public school. And so they were almost trying to walk it back, I remember. Were you in the room when this was happening? Not probably those. Uh -huh. I mean, I was at various times. I don't, He's but, probably sitting in the office by Mrs. Castle. You know, yeah, the, the and I was probably and... like, you know, disassembling something, you know, just like, you know, bored and not sure what to do. So they were like, no, 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 we're going to, 
it's time for a, a little fresh start here. And so I went to shoot middle school, which, uh, cause I grew up in Skokie, but you guys might know that like the, I was in the Evanston Skevinston, school district, right. Skevinston. So that was the option, if you will. And I went there for a year and a half and I loved it. <laughs> I know I loved it. It was refreshing. I think I needed it the day, just so you know, right. It's like 8.30 to like 2.15 or 2.30. And that includes not only all of your, you know, your typical secular studies, but like every day there was gym, every day you had an elective, like one semester. I took wood shop. I, I took, yeah. I took sewing. Did you supplement this with like Judaic education? So yes. Yeah, so my parents out of concern that, I, you know, exactly that I was going to, you know, lose a lot of that, set me up twice a week to learn Who'd you learn with? Okay, so I learned once at the West Rogers Park Kolel with Rabbi Richie Friedman. Oh, wow. Who my father grew up with on the South Side. In fact, my, no fa- my father and Rabbi Friedman, Rabbi Friedman's father. Joseph Friedman. Okay, Joseph Friedman was the two of their bar mitzvah teachers. Wow. And they were like the same age. So they like to have their bar mitzvah lessons on Shabbos together and all that. They, my father talks about running around with Richie Friedman. And again, right, he calls him Richie. To this day, if he saw him, he would call him Richie. It's like if we saw Dove Carroll, right. you'd yeah, be yeah. like, Dove, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, you know, he's a pretty hush of, uh, you know, Rabbi Friedman. But, and then the part that was very tough was that he also set me up on Sundays Ouch. for a Rav to come to the house to learn with me. Do you guys know Rabbi Reitzis? Is sure. that name? He's a, a, a Lubavitcher. Yeah, yeah, real short, sure. stocky yeah. guy. Yeah. And this would be like 4 p.m. on oh, Sunday. The worst. Oh, <laughs> the worst. And again, if you, I mean, y'all, like all I cared about was sports. I just wanted to play ball all day long. And so it'd be a nice Sunday day. We're playing like, you know, four on four baseball in front of the house or whatever. And then the car pulls up <laughs> and it's just like no way and it's like bases loaded like you know the best game and my dad's like john come on in time to i'm like this is ridiculous <laughs> but the thing was as much as i hated to do it i actually really loved it every time like he was amazing he told these stories he found a way to connect with me that was kind of cool so i have kind of bittersweet memories of all that and that was their way of trying their best to kind of and look i I still remember, I mean, you know, like a lot of this, especially the Skokie kids, but you know, I'd be home from school playing ball and then like they'd come over, you know, Shalom and all these guys, we just play ball from my house. But I feel like for me, it was really good. I got to see kind of the world a little bit, you know, there were, I mean, like, you know, right. big time fights going out of the school, <laughs> like, you know, um, all races, ethnicities, just the whole experience that not many of us would never have been exposed to. So I graduated from shoot middle school. Uh, fly eagles. Uh, I definitely was missing like my friends, the chevra. Like I made friends at in public school, but they not, were, not I, the same. Not the same, and not and I like they weren't. I, we weren't like I wasn't like hanging out with them outside of school. Like we were friends in school, but not outside. And I missed these guys. So went to Idacrum. And what was that experience like? <laughs> it was great. I have generally fond memories of the academy. Again, I kind of went resorted back to my clownish ways uh, very sort early of? on entirely yes I'll, I'll tell you a really quick story that Please. was kind of funny is so so first at that time it was a melting pot the academy right 
and I, I heard part of the podcast with Rebbe Matanki. He was talking a little bit about it. But at the time, right, it was Hill Torah kids. It was, it was Solomon Schechter kids. It was public school kids that, for whatever reason, their parents decided this, we're going to give you high school. It was the Russians. It's a ton of right. the Russians. Okay. Uh, I mean, a ton. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so anyway, I just remembered another story. We could go there. We could, we would, I mean, this, we'll this, there. this, this podcast could go six hours. Yeah. <laughs> because can I tell you something? When I've listened to these podcasts, when I hear you guys talk about you stuff, jump in. oh my God, right. I can go right. with it in so many more directions. Right. So, which is why it's actually, I really enjoy what you guys are doing. So, so I think, was it called the Mechina program yeah. or something? Yeah. Which was really for like the kids who like needed like the Aleph Bet class, you know? Right. So here I am with six and a half years of orthodox. Orthodox Jewish education. I'm learning with Rabbi Friedman at the Kolel, but they just assume it says shoot middle school, so we better right. send them in Mechina. <laughs> so I start <laughs> in the Mechina track, and like the first or second day, the rabbi says, okay, I don't know if this was his thing. This is your freshman year? Freshman year. He says- Did you have Mr. Cash? No. Uh, no, but, but I had, who was the- um, the, the psychiatrist rabbi? Rabbi Loeb. Loeb. Yeah. I had Rabbi Loeb. Sure. <laughs> I think it was in his class where he says, okay, I don't, this is kind of, he says, for an automatic A for the entire year, he starts off with, and we're like, yeah. And everyone's like on the edge of their seats. <laughs> Who can name all the Hebrew months? <laughs> In, in order. And I remember the groan from the kids because they thought it would be like a, a, a doable, like an, you know, an answerable. Like, like who are the ovos? Yeah. yeah. And I just remember them going, oh, come on, Rabbi, you got to give us something that like is realistic. So I like sheepishly raise my hand and he calls on me. And first of all, not only do I rattle them off, I start with Nissan. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The ultimate baller. The ball. ultimate, like, savage, like, okay. So I rattle them off. The kids are, like, looking at one another <laughs> and then looking at Rabbi Loeb, like, for, like, verification. Like, was this correct? And he looks at me and he goes, let's chat after class. <laughs> and after class, he says, we both know this isn't the class for you. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I ended up... Um, getting bumped up to Rabbi Fliegelman's oh, class, who oh. is amazing and still to this day is amazing. And yeah. We'll get to Rabbi Fliegelman. Okay. Later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk. I mean, I know that Yoel is sitting here like dying to talk about it. He's waiting for this his whole right. life. Yeah. Right. Okay. And you were a four-year player. And no. a successful I, one. My, no. my junior no. year, I, I took off my junior year. Oh, why? Combination of things. Uh, the, Concentrate the, on your studies. Well, that was, the, that was the, the answer I gave to my coach, who was like, why aren't you playing ball and all that? Frankly, I think the honest calculus was I didn't think I'd play a lot. I was the kind of player that, well, first of all, as you all know, is, you know, I was always, I th think he'd admit to this, a pretty skilled player, like especially like, like in Hill of Torah, it was like always me and Yoel, me and Yoel and, and our and good I, friend, Abi Kerish, Shalom yeah. Shalom, to the point where it was like, it was hard to make fair teams right? because there was three of us and whoever had two of us was usually the, that that team was going to win, right? And okay. John would create teams for recess. <laughs> right. Like four teams. Correct, for yeah. He, like yeah. during class, that's what he would do. He would like make teams <laughs> for recess. Trying to make fair recess, teams. Right, and, yeah. multiple teams and so two, you, the winners had, would play if each it, other. If like Karish and y'all were on the same team, then I had to get like Horwitz yeah. and Shalom, Shalom or something, yeah. like make it fair, yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyways, so like freshman year, I was one of those kids that like, you know, made the team, didn't play much. Okay. Sophomore year, like I got, you know, some playing time was good, you know? And then junior year, I knew it was like, you had Jason Gornstein, you had Will, you had Yoel, you had the whole thing. I'm like, all right, it's going to be one of those years again where I'm on the team, but not playing much. And Jordan, you notice he said Jason first. 
<laughs> we'll get there. We'll we'll there. We can get to that. But we were, we were very guard so, heavy. So I, I guard I, heavy, right? We were, were very guard heavy. Yes. Let, uh, very, let the guest speak. <laughs> we were very guard heavy. Uh, John, move over. Let me speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were well. We were guard heavy, except as as freshmen. Uh, uh, you know, we had um, we had Ariel Seidman, who uh, was an absolute force to be reckoned with for about a, about a year, year and a half until cathedral. Until cathedral, um, and then it was all downhill from there. It hit his head, and that's what we use as his excuse. <laughs> yes. But, anyways, so that yeah, I took junior year off, then and, and then I mean, again, I was I was like a really short kid in high school too. So it was like, yeah, I was skilled, but when you're like five foot four or five foot five, it's like, and you're trying to go up against six, three guys. And so that was probably contributed. And then I like, just like sprouted. And so I go to become like practically my height now, almost six feet tall. And so senior year I come back and, you know, we actually had a great team. I mean, we really did. And <clears throat> 25 and seven, was that the uh, record? Yes. I think it was 25 yes. and seven. Oh, Cause we also had the shirts there. Right. Yes. 25 and you're, seven. You're like he was shocked that he didn't remember. No, no, was, I know. I remember those 32 total games. And, I mean, and actually, and we went and we went to two tournaments that year. We won a tournament in Baltimore, the Beth Fila tournament. And then of course we lost I by one point. We didn't MTA. win a uh, We did not. We lost by one point. In the semifinals. Yes. And we were winning in the fourth quarter. Right. We can get to that. Okay. Yeah, we, we can get to that if you want. Okay. And so, all right. The listeners want to know. Yeah. Jason Gorenstein. Yeah. The GOAT. I think people have probably mentioned none of us really saw or played with Igal Lutovsky, who when you'd walk into the Ida Crown halls, you saw like Igal's jersey and everyone talked about Igal Lutovsky. I'm sure Igal was an amazing player. 35 points per game. Some crazy yeah. statistics, right? So I think that's one of those things where also I think like in this, like when people debate the whole Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain and Jerry West, like I'm sure they were awesome, it's right? It's a different era. But it's a different era. So I think we have to just exclude that era. Yeah. Sure. And for the sake yeah. of this, I think, look, I think Jason was the goat. Okay, and and and, and, and no, 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 hold on, I don't deny it. I don't deny it. But you have to understand my, something. My, my, Can we pause to just no. say I, I don't deny it. I just say no. No, I would be surprised. No, no, his shoulders just got narrow. He like crouched up in his seat. Right, Jason was the best player in the school basically as a freshman. Yes, and his freshman sophomore. And even and especially junior year, he was the best player in the school. Senior year, he did not care anymore. Right. So by the time we were varsity, we were juniors, and he was a senior. Jason really was thinking about other things. So really I, I think that's exactly spot on. Look, Jason was just an exceptional athlete, talent, relentless bulldog. And what was he? All of five ten. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, wasn't yeah, a big yeah. no, no, kid, but he was tough. He was so tough. And he's even the kind of, I'm like, y'all had a better shot than Jason, by the way. So I, I'm, I'm willing to throw that out there. Right. Steve okay. Kerr probably had a better. <laughs> no, but, yeah, well, exactly. no, but, but yeah, meaning, yeah, meaning, sure. but, but Jason, he was clutch and so was y'all, but Jason was clutch. He would stick a big jumper when you needed it. He would, I still, what was that game? Went to like throws? triple overtime. Yeah, I think it was like throws. 20 for 21 from the free throw line yeah. or something. He was fouled with like no time left and they were down three. <laughs> and... So basically, he goes to the free throw line, but there's there's no even rebounders there. And I think actually we just spoke about Nady Fox. I think he walked over him and like as he was about to get the shoot, I don't know why he wanted to get in his head. He's like, "Boy, I'm happy I'm not in your shoes right now." <laughs> wow! And then Jason went up there and hit all three free yeah. throws, and they ended up winning in like double or triple overtime. That's definition of the goal. Yeah, that's clutch. He's, he's the goal. He, yeah. he was great. Also, I will say, I thought Jason was and is. I don't. I haven't. We reconnected for a little while as adults playing like you know like uh, adult softball and things like that. I haven't talked to him in more than ten years, but. One thing that I also always remember about Jason that I would really appreciate was he was like really decent and kind to me. Like here's this really exceptionally talented guy, like had everything going for him. Like again, you know, in high school and, and our lockers were near each other and he was just 
he'd always talk to me. He's always like, what's up, bro? Like, how's it going? Like, I just always appreciated that, even though like on the court, I mean, he was amazing. And, and if Jason, I think decided that basketball was like his thing for all four years, he would have then, I think his sophomore year might've been his greatest statistical year on varsity. And so Yoel's senior year was exceptional. Yoel was very, very good. Yoel was very clutch, hit big shots. You know, I was thinking, because I knew we were going to talk Can about, I just interrupt? Wait, yeah. yeah. But Jason was not on the team that year, right? He, he was not. Right. Right. And also, yeah. I, I want to point out, junior, I wanna point out yeah. that Josh and Jason are the, I'm sorry, Josh and the GOAT are the, <laughs> are the, were the same grade, right? And yes. you're graduate, graduating class of 1994. Correct. Yes. So to give context, this was the era when, you know, Michael Jordan at the same time, mm. you know, had reached the mountaintop. He had won three championships. He didn't see any competition. He wanted to try something else. I mean, it's the same idea. This, the very year that Jordan left to play baseball was the year that Jason said, I've had enough. I've already done it and left to uh, pursue other things, right? <laughs> yeah. Is that accurate? I mean, whatever he went to pursue. Thank you. Well but, done. But yeah, so so but we had we had a great team uh, our senior year. In fact, I still remember the debate with our coach, uh, Gary Peckler, who coached the all-troll Renan Well Sarid team, right? And we were always saying to him, like, coach, come on, admit it. We're the best team that you've ever had. Like we were, you know? And my recollection, y'all, is he's, his response was something like, this is the most talented team I've ever had, but that was the best team I ever had I or something so. like that, yeah. right? Like, like that. because yeah, think yeah. about it also. I mean, we, again, we don't need to name names. We had a lot of people on our team that needed their shots, that needed their numbers. Guilty. Um, Yoel's one of them, but, yeah. but, but, but for good reason. But then we had other, we had, we had an exceptionally talented point guard. I mean, Yoni Cohen was a terrific player as a Let's junior. not forget about my uh, dear distant cousin, uh, Aaron Goldman. Well, yeah. Aaron Goldman, who either from day one or shortly thereafter became a starter as a junior, was more than a role player on that team. He was a significant contributor. He had this senior year. insane yeah. senior year. Right. I mean, I was, we were all gone and he made all of these, you know, all suburban or all city teams, something like 25 points, 15 boards, eight blocks. Like the guy was throwing down yeah. dunks. He was incredible his senior year. Jordan, add Aaron to number two and put you all to three. I, think. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Good times. I loved practices too. I think we we went after each other really hard in practice. And then, you know, when you left practice, you were good friends again. But yeah, yeah I think it should, it should be mentioned that, you know, when you think about your team, you know, Sarachek is maybe the ultimate barometer in the uh, Jewish high school basketball scene. And uh, let's not forget that, you know, there was a game winning shot. And who hit that game-winning shot? That year? Yep. Well, the guy that killed us that year must was... Well, been, no, no, let's, just, it, must let's been, first. it must have been Yoel, right? Oh, yeah, it must, it wasn't, he, no, he's talking about junior year, opening game against Miami. Oh. I don't remember that. That's <laughs> <laughs> not memorable. No. Okay, well, uh, y'all, y'all did... We were down the one. Ball and, and you had the ball, and y'all, you had the ball I, in I your hands. I was seven seconds. And seven seconds, so you hit the game-winning shot? I dribbled the length of the court. Yeah. And I spotted an open, an open Ari Milstein from the elbow. <laughs> and, and then Milstein hit the shot, and then we went oh, to, into tier one. Oh, of course, and, yes. the, and the high knees. Yes, yes, the high knees. The high knees uh, celebration. celebration. Okay, exactly. that's fine. Yeah. But I, I do have one memory of, of John. I mean, he, you know, yeah. he did mention we were a talented team. He didn't, you know, he didn't start uh, his senior year. He was part of the, uh, what would you guys call the squad? What were we called? Oh, me, yeah, Benji, squad. Richard. Was, yeah, uh, I used to always fight in practice. Was it the horses or no, the no, stallions? Yeah, and the... I'll remember later. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I go into the game and John like checks in for me. 
And I'm just sitting on the bench, like talking to people next to me. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like three minutes later, John just like in the middle of the game, I'm not really paying attention to what's going on. We're up by like 20 or something like that. And John just like plops down next to me. And I'm looking at him like, what, like, you, like, what happened? Like you just, you just went in. So it turns out John like fouled out in like, in, like three minutes. So by and, the way, it, 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 he wasn't even like, it wasn't even like the refs, like, okay, coach, like you gotta, you know, take him out. He yeah. has five fouls. Like John fouled, he got called. And he just ran. He just ran like, over to the bench and just sat down. There, 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 there's a part of this that is except this significantly funnier. Yeah. Now let's tell it really quickly. Is that is true? I don't remember if I picked up five fouls in three minutes. Although it was something kind of ridiculous how that possibly happened. <laughs> I do remember right when I had I had you know you always know when you have four fouls, and I'm in the game and maybe I get I bump a guy and I'm like you're praying that the whistle's not going to go because it wasn't much and the whistle blows and I'm like. Wow, I can't believe I just fouled out. Like, whatever. So I could tell I was fouled out. And so I just ran off the court and, like we all said, plopped down on the bench. And so then the ref, <laughs> I this. Goes, the ref goes, to our coach, he says, Coach, you need a fifth. Like, right. So our coach starts walking down the bench. He's like, Look at the bench. He's like, all like trying to figure out who should pit in. He goes, Which guard? He goes, Rich, get in there. <laughs> Okay, and yeah. I was like, "Coach, he fouled out. Like yeah. he didn't even have a clue that I was yeah. the one in the game. It so like it didn't matter." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. But John was a great shooter, John. I mean, you went pretty far in the state three point contest. I did. I went. Round, I went to the round before downstate. You'd go right. downstate. In fact, like super sectional. Yeah, or whatever super it was. sectionals. In fact, I had to shoot on um, Friday night. <laughs> I had the same thing. I had to shoot. Well, the, the, it was going to be. It was going to be Friday night. And so I couldn't. So what they let me do was shoot twice in the event that, no, when they realized I advanced, they let me shoot again and they would just use my number for Friday night. And so I shot and I had a, a good score. But at that point, you need to start hitting like 12 or 13 out of 15 if you're going to advance. I think I only hit like 10 or something. And I was like, it's, it's good, but it's not, it's not going to be enough probably. But then they then had tiebreakers from the, from the corners. So what they do is they go to the corner for the tiebreaker. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this isn't going to even matter. And I, I, I make three out of 10. Like I do terribly. And I'm like, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. So I get a call, Motze Shabbos, from my coach. And he says, John, you know, it's Gary, Coach Peckler. Listen, just wanted you to know, you know, great job. You didn't advance, but it went to a tiebreaker. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. So the thing is, it was sort of a bit of a, a blessing in disguise or some silver lining because I was going to have to make a choice. Do I go to the Baltimore tournament? Because it was going to overlap with going downstate. And frankly, I wanted to go in the tournament with my team and all of that. And so, yeah, it was a nice run. But I won. Yeah. Uh, I, I had won the same it. thing the next year. I had a show. But I wanted it on a Friday in an empty gym. Do you remember worst. that I wanted it Sarah Yeah, Jack? and I was going to say, and then, then that year, so they started a three-point contest, and John won the three-point contest at the Sarah Check tournament. But what was funny about that also is that they give you an huge embarrassingly trophy. huge trophy. Like, it's it's like four feet. Yeah, we're flying back with we're it. We're flying yeah. back with it. And keep in mind, we are depressed because we, we went there to win this thing. And I, I walk onto the uh, the plane with the, my trophy because you can't like check right. it. And like the whole plane starts clapping, <laughs> but like we're sad. Yeah. It was all weird and awkward. Okay, so John, so so you graduate from Mighty Crown, like Josh, and um, <laughs> and move on. You, you attend Yeshivat Hakotel with Yoel, yes, under the auspices of Ravina, right? And what was that experience like? It was a great year. 
and that's right. That was now I think his program is Nativarie, but it was the kind of the original Shivat Kotel. Um, just to segue it from Ida Crown, probably late junior year, beginning of senior year, I started to grow up. Is bottom line. I mean, not fully, but I definitely started to like a little bit more. Be like, all right, what what's going on here? So, John, what point? I guess as a young adult, did you decide to go into? You know, your father was a doctor. Did you decide to go into the medical field as well? I started to think about it in Israel. I had no idea what I wanted to do other than play major league baseball. And then when it hit me that <laughs> while I was good at a crown, <laughs> I was not going to be good enough to play major league baseball. It was a great year to just to think, right? I will say for those people out there who aren't sure if they want to take a year off, I highly endorse it. Regardless of the program you go to, if for nothing else, you know, you go K through 12, it's a grind and you get this year that you probably will never get again. I just remember thinking, what do I want to do with my life? And whatever I did, not only do I want to enjoy it, I had this feeling like I never wanted to feel regret and I wanted to make sure whatever I did like sort of had meaning in my life. So again, didn't know that would be medicine necessarily, but that's where I started thinking about it. So then when I went to undergrad, I went to the University of Illinois, which is like where all my family for the most part went. I went there with the intentions of basically being pre-med and trying to get into medical school, knowing that I got terrible grades through high school. And a teacher said to me once when she asked me, hey, what do you think you're going to do? I remember telling her, I think I want to go to medical school. And she says to me, you know, you have to get all A's. <laughs> And I'm like, who is this? Which teacher? It was actually Mrs. Wasserstrom, okay. even though I didn't sure. have her. Right. We had Strimling. Sure. But, topics. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know what that means. But I just right. know it was in yeah. Well, yeah. I, well if yeah. you, what I remember is if you got a C, because I did, is it was it a 4.0. 4. 4. Yeah. So sure. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. I can get a four with a C. Okay. I got the B's. You're right. And I got yeah. the C's. So, but that's the point. I got yeah. B's and C's in high school, guys. Let me tell you just about yeah. John in high school. Okay. So John was out of his mind. Okay. He got to the point and he, I mean, I, just, I know he sort of, uh, you know, brushed upon this a little bit in terms of the way he behaved in high school and the way he basically trained the teachers. He used to, walk, we had Rabbi Fliegelman's senior year for modern Jewish history. He would walk into class. It was a 40 minute class. He'd walk in around 10 minutes late. And Rabbi Fliegelman always is highly, you know, disruptive, you know, because that was, that was John. Like you think his ADHD was bad, you know, in Hill Torah. I mean, you should see him in high school. So he gets there. And you know he's like teaching or whatever it is. John Gutsy goes, Rabbi, is this is Monday? Yes. Have a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it, because like John was not coming back to class to the end of the week. Like he was he was done with class. Like he did his ten minutes for the week. And you know what was happier than John about that was Ray Fliegelman. Yeah. And oh, like, he, they had this he, deal. he told me that story. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he yeah. loved like he was like yeah, you know what it works out for me. And we had an understanding. Yeah, yeah. We just had an understanding. He's like just just go. Yeah. But like he would yeah. just go, Rabbi. Yeah. And, and he would disrupt the class like his little teaching. Have a good shot. Sometimes he preempted in his New York accent. I'd yeah. walk in the room and he could just tell that I was yeah. going to be disruptive. <laughs> so he'd, he'd like a he'd, he'd meet me halfway. He'd be like. Have a good shop, John. John, John, have a good shop. So, yeah. So, so here I am thinking I've, I've got to apparently get A's to get into medical school, and I'd never done better than B's and C's. Even though like, you know your, your parents are always upset at you because you're taking those stupid achievement tests that apparently say you're really smart, you know. And then I'm pulling really bad grades, so they don't understand the disconnect. And uh, yeah, so I actually had to figure out how to study in college and. That first semester was actually really tricky for me because I truly didn't know how to study in the way to get A's, and I had to figure that out. You do end up becoming a doctor, and you go, you know, I, I don't know what goes into that necessarily, but I know that you did choose the same field that uh, 
that your father's in. Is that accurate? Until later on in, in the training phase when I then finally sort of um, bifurcated a bit in a, in a different direction. But that's exactly right. So, Both in cardiology. Yeah, though, so, right? so four years of undergrad. And for anyone who wants to go in this pathway, just listen because it's a great path, but it's got to be the right thing for you. It's four years of undergrad. And then I went to medical school for four years. I went to Einstein in New York. And then after that, uh, so you're an MD, but you're getting paid, you know, very little money. I went to do a three-year internal medicine residency in Boston. And then after that, I decided I wanted to go into cardiology, which required a three-year cardiology fellowship, which I did at the University of Chicago. And then <laughs> to like so add- So that's, that's to, 10 years, so, right? so that's, no. that's No, that's more. That's four, eight, eight 11, 14, 14 years. He'd have a nursing homes he could have bought during those 14 <laughs> right. years. Well, no, uh, no, all my buddies were like- And for, you, you, you don't make money at any no. point? No, I mean, yeah, you here? get paid. But not- You get paid, but you get paid enough to, you know, to, to kind of month to month pay the rent and all that. I mean, you're, not, you're certainly not saving money. And right. you're, you're not, you're just, yeah, you're, you're kind of getting by. It's fine, but- 14 years, and then I do one additional year of sub-subspecialty training where I decided to go into this field that's called advanced heart failure and transplant cardiology. So I did an additional year, and then finally, after 15 years, I took my first faculty position at the University of Chicago. Were you married during this time? Yeah, I got married in my fourth year of medical school. So we lived for a hot second in Riverdale, my wife and I for like six or seven months, and then we moved to Brookline in Boston because that's where I did my residency. And yeah, and you you eventually ended up kind of like alongside your father at Northwestern. Eventually, I did, but so I went to the University of Chicago. They hired me there, and I was on faculty there for almost three years. I then moved with a colleague of mine to Northwestern to help build their heart failure and transplant program. And then shortly after that, about a year or so later, I actually helped recruit my father to Northwestern. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's completely Jordan's different. Jordan's completely than, deflated. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. I but, mean, I, I was, you know I was going like, I was trying to go down a little nepotism route. Okay. Um, the we, old, we, old boys club. Oh, I, I gotcha. So no, that's so, not the case. No, Your father it, wasn't at Northwestern before. He was not. He oh, was not. Okay. But Cut it. <laughs> but that's okay. No, but Never mind. he was at the University of Chicago. So if you want to go there, but yeah. So, 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 yeah. so to be clear. Yeah. You come out of Boston, you do your fellowship there. I do my residency, residency there. there. Fellowship at University fellowship. of Chicago. Wow, so uh, must have been tough getting that fellowship at the place your father was a big doctor. Ah, there you go, there you go, there you go, yeah. yeah. Well, well, either way, you sort, yeah. sort, yeah. sort of got it in there. Things right. so kind of worked out for you, huh? I mean, I could just rebut by saying maybe the Harvard pedigree helped wow. uh, open the door to, <laughs> and, not, and not just my father, maybe, if, if we're going to go, you know, I can spell toe-to-toe. Well, anyways, John, you've obviously had, not obviously, uh, people may not be aware, but, you know, look him up, look at, you know, his publications, his his teaching career, his uh, clinical career. He's had a lot of success, but none more notable than in the past couple of years, you were involved in a very, very high profile case. And that would be the prosecution of Derek Chauvin. And you were brought as a, an expert witness for testimony on behalf of the prosecution. How did that come about? Yeah, it was uh, sort of a bit surreal. I received an email, and it was a little cryptic. So just so you understand, like I'm in academic cardiology. I'm not part of a private practice. Where in a private practice, I mean, it's it's great, but you go and you just you practice clinical medicine. When you're an academic, 
at a university as I've been at U of C and now at Northwestern, it's sort of a tripartite model of, yeah, clinical care, but there's that mission of both teaching and research. And so those are the three domains that I'm in. The downside initially is you get paid less, frankly, than you would if you went off into private practice. On the flip side, where it sort of maybe makes up for it is you tend to be able to develop a national reputation because when you develop your craft in your field, what ended up happening is I started to give a lot of lectures across the country and publish a lot, as you made reference to. And the only reason I'm mentioning this is because it's like, well, how would they even find you know, someone like me? I'm sure they had their research team in figuring this out, but I got an email saying, we'd like to have a conversation with you about a- uh, Who was uh, the email from? Some paralegal, I okay. think. It seemed legitimate because I, I get a lot of this kind of stuff and I kind of just delete it or don't respond when it's, you know, so, and, and I, and at that point, I had been doing very, very little medical legal work. You know, I pick and choose on occasion. It wasn't the area I really wanted to do much of. Keep in mind also, if I was going to do medical legal work, I, I'm much more biased in favor of trying to defend doctors and nurses and things like that from litigation. So they asked if I would just get on the phone. I got on the phone or I said something like, you know, can you tell me what this is? And they're like, you know, we can't tell you right now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But they were like, it's high profile. It's in Minneapolis. And I started to think, and again, this was already because the Floyd, you know, incident happened at this point, you know, a little bit time prior, maybe like a year prior or whatever, by the time they get it together. But I started wondering, could it be that? I don't know. So they ended up saying, we'd like to talk to you. And I said, sure. And we set up a Zoom meeting and I get on and there are 12 people on this Zoom meeting. All lawyers? lawyers, attorney general. And I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and basically it ended, what I didn't realize it was an interview. Like they basically were interviewing me to see if they wanted to retain me, which again, I, I still didn't even at that time know. And so they were just, you know, asking me questions. And then by the time. Could you tell anyone about this at that point or no? Like did your wife knew, know about this? My wife is probably the only person that I told what was going on. But what I had to do is, okay, so the way this works is once they said to me, okay, we really want to retain you as our cardiology expert in this case. And I then said to them, I need to go to Northwestern and tell them what's going on because they allow you to do that kind of stuff. But you've got to really make sure that you vet this, that it goes up the chain, especially for something this high profile. And they totally got it. And I went to my boss and Kay came back to me and said, listen, if this is something you want to do, we have your back and go ahead and do it. And I gave it a fair amount of thought. And what I told them, I still remember, is I say, okay, here's the deal. I said, I'm willing to do this from the standpoint of I'm willing to review the case. I will make you no guarantees. I said, if I find something that you're not going to like to hear, I'm sorry. This is how it's going to work. And and so, you know, I may not be your guy because I might find stuff in the case that says, hey, I think that something else happened different the way you guys want to do it. And they were like, hey, we actually really respect that. It's your integrity. That's, we wouldn't want you to do anything different, which probably they have to say. But at that point, they retained me. I realized that this was going to be effectively pro bono. I got compensated in the end for some of my time when I had to be in Minneapolis. But other than that... Um, it was just, okay, yeah. When I started going through the medical records and everything that happened, I felt like I could objectively opine as a medical expert on what I thought you know, happened. And uh, yeah, then it progressed. Was there like a practice 
to do this or is it you just on the stand? Yeah, no. So, so it was <laughs> several phone calls of just, because again, it's like it's the way this works is after I go through just, I mean, inordinate amount of records. And I mean, they sent me like 20 something hours of video from every angle, because again, they wanted to make sure that I saw what I saw. And if I thought that, you know, what happened is the way it happened, you know, I had to see everything. And then what happens is I have to write my expert report. It's this like 20 something page document that I put together and, you know, it's like highly referenced and all this kind of stuff. And I send it to them and they look it over and which, which basically then the other side gets. And so everyone knows what I potentially might testify uh, to so that the other side's prepared as well. There was a little bit of back and forth on the phone, but it wasn't until, this is the part where, so this is the first, by the way, I had never in my life testified in a case prior to this, okay? So now granted, I have given, I don't know, 500, 1,000 public speaking lectures. So it's at the point where like, I'm very comfortable speaking to big crowds, teaching and things like that. I come to Minneapolis, Wednesday night I flew in because they told me that I was going to be on the stand first thing Friday morning. Because I told them, look, I got to get out for Shabbos. They said, no problem. I come Wednesday night, Thursday, I'm like meeting with them. And I'm like, by the way, guys, like we're getting like up against it. Like, how does this work? And they, these lawyers, and, and Jordan, maybe you can relate to this, but they just, it's just like, okay, now right, they work that day, they work into the night. What do we got to do next? So they basically said, all right, can we do like a practice run of what your direct exam is going to be like in asked me questions, I'd answer them. You know, they probably told me they didn't like how I said it like that or don't talk so much like I'm doing here. I remember thinking initially I was not going to be nervous at all. And so that was Thursday. And then Friday morning, what had happened was the testimony of the person the day before like spilled over to Friday. And so it was, I'm like, uh, I'm still testifying today, right? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we think so. I'm like, no, no, it can't be we think so. And so what happened was, it went a little long and the judge was like wanting to like cut it early on Friday and was like, I think we're going to have Rich do Monday. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I can't do Monday for a number of reasons. Number one, I got to get home. Number two, this was in the middle of the pandemic, by the way. Like there was nothing going on. I'm in Minneapolis at a hotel and I needed to be rounding on what's called on service starting Monday the next week. And the judge was just like, yeah, sorry, dude. So I ended up staying. Could you have just said no at that point? I, well, no, at that no. Point, I mean, you're, you're, I would kind of completely. <laughs> I don't know. So, no, I could have. By the way, by the way for yeah. the listeners yeah. who haven't picked up on this, this is the uh, the the trial against uh, Derek Chauvin with the George Floyd incident, and right. Doctor Rich here was uh, part of the prosecution, which ended up convicting Derek Chauvin of uh, was it second degree murder? Yeah. Second degree second murder. Second degree murder. Okay, so back to the back to you. So then you end up you end up. So let me ask you a question quickly. They didn't practice the cross-examination. They didn't bring other, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll do that. And because you're going to give your testimony, right. but then, you know, the defense is going to try to pick you apart. So they didn't right. give you any practice. A little bit, not nearly as much as I thought. And that's, so what happened was I went there thinking I was not going to be nervous, which is probably so naive. <laughs> and I remember waking up on the day that I was going to testify. This is the Monday? It, well, did Friday. Did you go back Monday. home? Or you, no, no, I mean, stayed I stayed yeah. and then and testified Monday. I remember 
being more nervous than I had been since I think I was like taking my MCATs to get into medical school. Like it just hit me. For like some. how many video uh, cameras and Yeah, CNN I mean, not only was this going to be on trucks. live CNN, but they were also like, keep in mind also the way they told me this was like, I was apparently like the closer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I don't think so, it's an exaggeration to say you were the most famous man in America during that time. I, I mean, certainly the most, you know, the most tweeted. I, you were the star winner. Yeah. Either way, they made it to add to the pressure. They were like, "All right, look, you know, we think that we a case is going well, but like it comes down to you." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay." I'm like, "And I've never done this before." And I just remember being like, "Wow." I'm really nervous. So they also say, like, if he's not convicted, then this, like, the country will burn. No, no, none of that. They were truly, they were truly wonderful. They were truly wonderful, like, uh, professional people. I'm, you know, I was really impressed with them. But I remember the first ten or so minutes when they, you know, swear you in, but then you have a way of like getting in there without having to say I swear. You know, you say, you know, I, I affirm, and I sit down and. The first 10 minutes, I'm nervous. But then, thank God, I don't know what happened. I kind of just forgot. It's almost like we were talking about basketball. The biggest game of your life, those first five minutes, you've got the butterflies. And then you realize, wait a second. Like, you know how everyone says it's just a game? For me, it wasn't that it was just a game. It was, wait a second. My job right now is to answer questions and teach the jury. And this is exactly my wheelhouse. Like, this is all I do every day is teach. And by the way, I'm able typically to teach at from a third grade level to an 11th grade level to a, you know, a professional cardiology level. So, and with the jury, it's like, tell them what lungs are, you know, and, and, all, and to an extent, right? right? So I got comfortable very quickly. And it wasn't that I was like enjoying it per se. I just, it felt very- Like another day at the office. Yeah, to an extent. And I just totally forgot that I was on camera and, and all that. And so, yeah. You know, you know who didn't forget? Jordan. Yeah. And so, yeah. so, so John, so talk to me. I, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of similar here because the same way that uh, the state didn't really adequately prepare you for uh, cross-examination, sadly, you did not uh, prepare yourself adequately for this interview when it comes <laughs> to what we're going to have for you. So- okay. Here we go. <clears throat> so without taking any position, obviously, in the trial, we're not cardiologists or anything like that, but we did find a flaw in the defense team's treatment of you as a witness in their cross-examination. Okay. Instead of focusing on the, uh, the facts and the reliability of your testimony, they could have easily discredited your credibility based on character evidence okay. and your general, perhaps, inclination to sometimes misstate some truths. Uh-oh. Wow, this is really so, interesting the way this is starting. So okay. L- let's start out with with a couple of things. Okay. okay so <clears throat> let, let's let's try here. John, just quickly, easy question. Okay. But obviously, I mean, the proof, what the defense would want to do is basically prove that John is a noted liar and therefore any of his, you know, should, any should of his evidence discredited. right should be discredited, right? That, that's a, that's what I said. <laughs> just making sure, because John seemed like a little confused as to where. No, we're going. I wasn't confused actually. Oh, I'll throw no, no, yeah, very he's clear. Trying, he's trying to prepare himself, but I was okay. Yeah, John, bracing myself. John, yeah. how many institu- how many educational institutions? In how many educational institutions were you a classmate of Yoles? I believe three, if we include. Hillel Torah, Ida Crown, and Yeshivata Kotel. Okay, wrong. Okay. Four. <laughs> I would say four. Uh, I, I, would, I, I would like to remind you of um, 
Old Orchard Summer School. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, already like an easy yeah, softball like, pitch. Here it is, yeah. flat, not even high. One, yeah, like, one strike. Right. I mean, yeah, it was back fun. in the day, I, I don't know if they did it in your day, but we had you know Old Orchard Summer School, and we basically yes. did it. Which is actually the origin of his name. Interestingly yeah, enough, C- CJR, CJR. Yeah, yes, because what happened was we took we we always sent there because we had to learn right. how to right how to learn how to type. <laughs> so we John and I actually took the same three classes. First class was basketball. Second class was keyboarding, which is like learning how to type. And third class was track and field. Right. And so the teacher said, like, oh, if you want, you could just you know either you give it your name or you can tell us what name you want to go by. And I'm like, go by JR. And then he so he said he told the teacher he's JR. And ever since then, everyone's calling him JR or CJR. John, do you recall an individual named Nibra White? <laughs> Nibra. So, of course I do, right? I, I called him Nibra. <laughs> okay. What was notable about this individual? Nibra was, <laughs> was a classmate of mine at Shoot Middle School. So we were in the same class. And so when we were like in eighth grade, he was this tall, athletic, very good basketball player. You aren't used to an eighth grader who could basically dunk. And so, you know... We would play right. ball, and Nibra was uh, was a friend of mine. Anything notable about his familial life? Yes, actually, I think this is where you're going with this. But you have to you have to know the background to Nibra White. We don't. Every weekend, John would talk about his friend Nibra White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we play. I was in the football. Okay, what was notable about his family? Yes. So was it his? It was either his sister or his cousin or someone was related to Scottie Pippen. Was related or dating? Or dating. I don't remember. Yeah, it was dating. That it was, was the story that you yeah. notably told right. all your friends right. for years. <laughs> right. yes. Your friend from yeah. Shoe Middle School, <laughs> Middle school was dating uh, his no, no. sister, sister right. or a family member yeah. was dating Scotty Pippen. I, I mean, okay. yeah. So I was able to locate Nimbra. <laughs> actually uh, still lives in Evanston on Asbury Avenue. I was able to get his phone number from the Yellow Pages online. He has no recollection of his sister <laughs> yeah. or any family member sure ever Scottie dating Pippen. Scotty Pippen. So, okay, okay. another right. another check. His testimony is okay. falling apart. Yes. I mean, uh, okay, uh, John, <laughs> there was one notable Shabbos. I'm sure it was typical sometimes hanging out with your friends in uh, maybe it was high school, you know, rolling around uh, first Lincolnwood at Leora Weinstock's house. And then, and then oh, you know, so it was Peterson Park. They then moving over to Peterson Park, you know, going to the Rosenzweigs and then maybe later to the Milsteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a notable weekend that you got lost, you said, going one place. <laughs> and uh, do you ever recall walking so far out of the way getting there that you claimed to your friends that day? That you walked so far that you saw a sign that said "Welcome to Indiana." <laughs> Welcome to Indiana. Absolutely not. That, was, that, was, that is complete that, fabrication. That, yes, no. That was that was John's line. He was, he was lost for several hours. He comes back. He's. I walked so far out of the way. I saw a sign that we're "Welcome to Indiana." Like you really did it. He's it like, is. I, I was like, I promise. It is impossible. I did say that because yes. that's kind of yes. funny. And he's like, I, so, yes. And he's like, so I promise you. He's I don't like, remember that. Right. So, it, it is something that you would have done to just. Make up that you would basically uh, walk here and there. Proof that that didn't happen. And those okay. of you who aren't local okay. to Chicago, it would probably be around a, a, a seven day walk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, July 7th, 1987. Okay. I'm 10. Nine and a half, 10. Andre Dawson. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Ready? Where were you that day? I was at Wrigley Field. Doing what? I was not the bat boy, by the way, that day, in oh. case you were going there. <laughs> because you always I always claimed you was, was the bat boy. No, 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 no. Yeah. I was a bat boy twice for the Cubs. That is true. But it just wasn't that day. That day, I did go onto the field, into the dugout, meet the players and all of that, which was awesome. And then I had great seats, like 
second row, third row. And that was a day where the Cubs were playing the Padres. And before the game, Andre Dawson announced that he was going to hit three home runs off of Eric Shaw, the pitcher. Andre Dawson comes up the first at bat and Dawson kills the ball and crushes a homer. It's like amazing, right? The guy's like calling his shot. The next, I'm like, yeah, first or second row. The next at bat, Andre Dawson gets into the box and Eric Shaw puts a fastball in his face, okay? And Dawson is bleeding profusely. Like, and I He got, hits the ground. Doesn't he hit the ground? And oh, like, so he's like, on the ground for like, like for, yeah, like 20 am, seconds. I'm, like, like Carl I'm, Weathers. I am yeah. right there. So I literally am seeing the blood pouring out of his face. It was that vivid. And that was pretty memorable, yeah. Yeah. Did and, I did I just take an L? Yeah. No, you I'm pretty didn't take sure John well, told well, us. John, that. John, well, and and why are, why were you on the field before the game? Because my father's best friend Bruce is actually Levine. a notable baseball writer in Chicago, Bruce Levine. So it was Bruce also who, in addition to occasionally hooking me up with those kind of things, was able to get me an opportunity to be the Bat Boy twice. But not during that uh, game. Not during that game. Okay. Well, <clears throat> John, it, it's a it's a nice fable. Okay. That you were there. Um, <laughs> But I did have a conversation with Bruce Levine, okay. and I did review <laughs> on Twitter. We DM'd, okay, <laughs> and uh, I did review all of the WGN footage, which uh, goes pregame as well. And according to Bruce, that day he actually took a recipient of the Ronald McDonald House Charity uh, onto the field that day. And it was the next week that you were at the game. Yeah. So, so this is more lies another, by the prosecution okay. star witness. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just to conclude this cross-examination. Yes. Well, this is a much more difficult cross than I actually <laughs> received in the trial in case you want to go look at it. John, your intramural softball team United Crown yes. one time made a championship. Yeah. You had notable twins on your team. Do you remember who? <laughs> of course, the Ray twins. The Ray twins. Um, now, the Ray Twins did not play in that championship game. Can you, can you explain why? I can. But by the way, I feel like we need to bring Josh a little bit into the fold. We're, 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 we're going to go we're there. Gonna there. Get there. All right, because there. there's, there's some really good stuff yeah, there. We're getting there. So, okay. So I'm trying to remember. John, you know why. No, no. I know. Of course just I remember tell, why. Just tell us why they weren't there. So yeah. the, the, the reality was. No, 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 no. No, it's the opposite, guys. The Ray oh, Twins yes. were not on my team. The Ray Twins were on the opposing team. And I was concerned <laughs> that they wouldn't. And correctly so, right. that the captain of the team we were playing in the championship was not going to tell the Rays <laughs> when and where the game was. Because they were freshmen and much younger. And, and just weak players, right? Automatic outs at the bottom of the lineup. We can all relate to that. So I happened to mention to them, I said, hey, guys, looking forward to seeing you at the game on Friday at 1 at Laramie. They're like, what game? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? The championship. He's like, you're so kind to tell us. Our captain didn't tell us. Thank you so much. We'll be there. I'm like, okay, great. So we get there, and the look on the opposing <laughs> captain's face when they pulled up, and he was like, 
oh, hey guys, like what's up? Like, by the way, just, just curious, how'd you happen to know that the game was <laughs> like, oh, John Rich was so sweet to let us know. And then he was like, this is illegal. You shouldn't have talked so to So you didn't players. know that they didn't know before you said anything. I had anything. a feeling that uh -huh. they didn't because I felt like there was some gamesmanship going on. And I, you know. Well, that one we'll toss up as an Alfred Joel Gorenstein yeah. who was, uh, uh, yeah. An unreliable source for that, uh, but nugget. so it was very, it was very close to the truth. It just happened to be opposite. opposite. Yeah, the opposite. Actually, He's, you right. did the right thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, John, uh, the conclusion I think that we submit is that unfortunately, it seems we submit to the jury. That's character. You fun. have a propensity to lie, <laughs> and you should not be trusted. And in fact, you know, one of the questions that was asked, you know, and that they're they were trying to suggest that you know there was a financial incentive or something for you to present this expert testimony, and you know, but. I submit that you actually did it for a different reason. Okay. <laughs> Let me read some tweets. <laughs> this is great. Fire. This tweet during a snapshot of a picture of you, which, by the way, you, your hair looks notably darker there. I, I assume it was made up. You know, you had a little bit of a tan. <laughs> this one, a tweet from at love and laugh today with a two, the number two. <laughs> Damn, Dr. McDreamy. <laughs> Cardiologist John Rich just took the stand. I might need to move to Chicago. Another tweet. Honey girl <laughs> 729 responds, I know, right? And smart too. Karen Gomes says, I hear ya. And he seems so nice too. Haha. -ha. Happens to be that Mrs. Jacks actually responded, he's mansplaining. Annoying. So that sorry about that one. Huh. Now, last tweet. At Samsara sings. I could listen to Dr. McDreamy Rich talk about cardiology all day. <laughs> wow. John, were you looking to put yourself out there in order for, you know, attention from women? Um, and did that cause any issues in your house and that I'm, type of sort of wait, thing? He's basically the Cato Kalen. Yes. I mean, that's <laughs> correct. To OJ. No, no. I, I think it did not. I'll tell you, I, I don't know if you guys are a, a little self conscious when it comes to these things. To this day, I have not read. Any of the Twitter feed from that time? You never looked at it. No, and I haven't even rewatched my testimony. Other than I did watch some snippets of sort of the post-game show, if you will. If you go to Court TV, and they'll have like five minutes of like the lawyers saying, you know, what happened today, and they talked about me a little bit. You were they, trending for several just, hours. I, I, apparently, I was. Yeah. I think it like third yeah. on Twitter. Or Are something you a big like Twitter that. guy or no? I used to be. Oh yeah. I actually used. I mean, by a big Twitter guy, I had an active account and I use Twitter mostly for work stuff uh, a little bit oh, for work stuff news. like promote work stuff yeah to really just like kind of follow news. the world uh -huh. and just you know easier than having to the sit best down the couch for news it for is sure, right yeah. but the problem guys and I think we can all relate to this and this is probably why I kind of got off Twitter a little bit was what happens in all social media I think is that if you happen to like anything or you follow somebody, the algorithms start giving right, you more right. of that same. And like everything was getting so polarized, whatever your viewpoints were on things. And I, I just wasn't, it was never making me feel good actually. Like I'd get onto Twitter and just, I was finding myself being like, actually like upset with a lot of stuff right. I was reading. And I kind of was like, why do I need that? And when would I look at Twitter? I'd look at Twitter like at night in bed. So like just as before you're falling asleep. <laughs> like getting angry. Yeah, like being like, oh gosh, do I need this in my life? And so I've actually kind of taken a, a long hiatus from it, but yeah. John, uh, <laughs> did you get your hair done that day? Was <laughs> no. there any makeup applied? Nope. Nothing? Nothing. You did it yourself? I did it myself. Okay. Moving. <laughs> <laughs> 
right, that was good. Let's we talk about, about the softball. Yeah, but let's talk about John's okay, character. I still feel cheated. I feel cheated to this day. Let's finish off. Josh feels a little inadequate because we're hearing about you know a lot of the sport prowess between John, you know the goat. Then to a lesser extent, Yoel. But uh, hold on, John, Goldman John, first, then Yoel. We Aaron to, Goldman yeah. first, my cousin. Well, uh, Jason. But yeah, yeah. Josh feels inadequate because you know, although now he's at an older age, right, nearing uh, you know sixty-five, and <laughs> basically doesn't have any athletic ability anymore. And but cannot he, run the bases due to his back. He Correct. His back Simple is always ninety feet. Him. I have a bad back. He ninety feet. He swims with a swimming cap. Correct. I don't know if you're aware. Correct. Um, but there was a time when Josh <clears throat> was supposedly an athlete. Is that accurate? John, can you back me up, please? Yes, I will. Josh was, I would say, a better than average softball player. I would put Josh in the good category of softball player. What, not, not great. <laughs> I, I, will not, I will not That's go to fair. great. I was not great. But Josh was a good softball player. I think that was like sort of your main sport. I mean, yeah. you, you dabbled in basketball, no, but so you didn't really play. I was a baseball But definitely guy. more of a baseball what guy. What position? Short, uh, shortstop. Yeah, I think Josh played shortstop. I can't even imagine this. It's, right, it's I know, hard. right? I, I, yeah. I'm pretty. Like, yeah. did, did you have like a first baseman's mitt? Yeah, when I was See? when I was smaller. Oh, yeah. when, I was, when I was in grade school. Yeah, like you play yeah. shortstop with a, with a, like a first right. baseman's glove. Right, right. Josh was Classic solid. Move. Like he was the kind of guy who I think you'd make the routine. You know, plays in the infield. He would generally speaking get singles and doubles. Like reliable, like a solid guy. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give that to Josh. Thank did you. you ever yeah. draft him? No, it was the other way around. Other way around. So. This, I was older. Josh was a senior. I thought you claimed you were the first pick of the draft. I was the third pick of the draft. No, no, no Josh had the third. Third pick. pick. Of the draft. No, no, but I was a third pick. Who also. was picked first? Oh. When who, I was when I was a junior. Who was who picked first? You? Wait, who first was picked pick, first? No, no. When you when, I, when you were a sophomore, you were picked first. No, junior year. I'm Go talking ahead. when I was a junior. I was third, oh. I was third pick overall. By who? It was Arno. No, who was first pick that year? Hold on. Yoni? Junior year was Arno. Was he probably yeah, first? Was, yeah. So. Okay, Josh. Whatever. I was third. Who was the captain that picked you? Junior year in Aton Fishbane. And he's regretted it ever since. <laughs> so you played for Josh for a short period of time. I, so let, let's I was lambasted. Josh was a senior. I was a senior. By the way, yes. this came up in a previous pod. This is where one of those yes. moments where I wanted to jump in. So for all the listeners out there, make sure that you listen to all of the great <laughs> previous pods. But when I was a junior, yeah, our good friend Will Lennon had the first pick in the draft. Who was himself the best player? Who in was school. himself the best player yeah. in the school? And I mean, Will and I were like close to best friends, okay? And we grew up together and played, okay? And it was, he made it abundantly clear, <laughs> abundantly clear he was drafting me first overall. So then, and I think Yoel talked about this, there was a day like a few days before the draft where we went out to Timber Ridge Park just to like, why not? Like hit the ball. Just around, you three. The three of us. And, you know, Will's like a big, strong power hitter. And I'm more at that time, kind of like maybe more of like a single double hitter, but again, reliable. I'll get a hit almost every time. Good, good fielder. And Yoel's there and Yoel is like kind of hitting bombs. Okay. And I'm hitting just like liners. And probably to this point, he was a good softball player. He wasn't that's like, right. he wasn't in that Correct. category. No, not at all. At this point. No, up until you this were good. point. It's called puberty. All right. Yeah. I mean, I was no, young. Yo, yo, Yoel, I'm a so Yoel's Calm like, down. Yoel's like hitting like far Shots and I'm just hitting nice liner singles. So I, to this day, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit resentful of my good friend Will. We're still very, very tight. Who, by the way, who's, who's listener to this pod? Uh, excellent, Will. Yeah. You know this happened. Big and that's fan fine. Of the pod. I still love you. But he decided covertly <laughs> that he was making a shift in his strategic plan and he was going to draft Yoel. Now, while that's hurtful, what he should have done is said, "Now listen, dude, we're best buds, but." 
I'm going in another direction. I'm going to draft you all first. He didn't. So what did he end up doing? He allowed, he took all of my intel <laughs> because I was prepping him for the rest of the draft. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And so it's like, it's like, oh yeah, very interesting. Really? You think he's a worthy of a third round pick? Good to know, you know? And so I couldn't believe it. And he takes, he takes Yoel with the first pick. Elon Hoffenberg has the second pick, takes Yoni Cohen too, who's a great player. So Josh has the third pick and like jumps on it, I think. Yeah. And was like, wow, maybe, maybe, or maybe a bit of a steal and grabs me with the third pick in the draft. So now I'm on Josh's team. Yes. Yes. And then what but, happened? But not for long. Not for long. And then what happened? I, I my, my, it's, it's so much of this is blurry, but my, my recollection. <laughs> not is blurry that, for me. I think my, about my, it all my, the time. My, my recollection <laughs> is that while Josh was officially the captain of the team, like I had that kind of alpha male type personality when it came to sports. And I really wanted to also kind of assert myself in that capacity too. And I think we just disagreed on a lot of ways about how we should, whatever the lineups and all this. And I think I was just driving Josh nuts <laughs> is my guess. And so Josh ends up <laughs> making a trade and actually trades me to Will. Yeah. And I think probably did not get a good return. It was it was br- it was, it was brutal. No, Yoel. I, I no. think I got like like Ami Merzler or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of fifty awful, cents on the dollar. Awful we had such a stack line. We, we never lost a game. John basically right. made himself like I, I couldn't play with him. Right. He, was, he was just so annoying. <laughs> he was and, like Kyrie. He was like the yeah, Kyrie. Yes, right. Yes. Like, I mean, he was very talented. Right. But like we just did not get along. And so I was like, well, you know what? What can I get? It was just, and that my my season was just torpedoed after that. You didn't try trading him somewhere else. Uh, Did he have no trade clause or something? No, because <laughs> at that point, like Will, like they had like colluded, and Will was like, "Oh, you know, John, like he's not even good." Right. Like, and right. What, it was just, it was, it was not a good so situation. Will's thrills, it was yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> so championships. Yeah. Yes. So we won. We won it all. Yeah. That's that's by right. far, they were the best team by far. Okay. There's and obviously senior, I was on your team. You were captain. Yes. Yeah. And we won it again. We won it again. <laughs> so back we won to back, back to back championships. Back John, it's been a pleasure having you. We'll have to do Wait, this again. I, I, I want to bring uh, up one last thing because right? we've skimmed over it and I'm sure we have. Hey, look, if, if you guys want to get off, those listeners can get off. I want to discuss that. <laughs> what? Between John, no. <laughs> in case it gets long. The listeners, they don't want to you know, end early. Okay. John, actually, you coached against Jordan this year. Is that mm. correct? Oh, wait, wait. We didn't even get to... Hold on. We got to talk about we, Coach of the Aces. Yeah, a little bit. Two hours in. No, 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 no. You know what? Don't I, worry. That's what I said. I have a question about no, no. that. Let okay. me ask so a question about the Aces that you go back. Yeah. John yeah. Here's coached my question. against Jordan. Here's my question. No, go on. Well, let's get, we'll get to that sure. in a second. But no, this is a serious question yeah. more because I do think, uh, obviously, in someone in your position and with your reputation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, coaching the Aces, I'm assuming a time commitment and something yeah. that you've been able to do. So... <laughs> What do you feel is sort of like the difference between when you were a player and the player? I'm actually curious about this. The players yeah. now, like in terms of <laughs> attitude, in terms of motivation, social media, social media, exactly. How does that affect the team and your your role as as sort of a mentor to them? I just finished my second year as the coach of the Ida Crown Varsity Boys Basketball Team, and the question is a really good one, and I want to be careful with how I answer it because I think what hasn't changed is. The kids are amazing, okay? I mean, think about it, like evolutionary or however you want to look at it, like nothing just happened in 20 years or 30 years that made the kids when they're born be different types of people, right? So they're, they're born into a different world and they're being raised a little differently. And so what I came to realize having now been doing this, and by the way, it's, it's been an absolute joy because part of my passion in what I do in medicine 
honestly, is, is teaching. And I, I really view a coach as a teacher. That's really what a teacher is. But you also get a chance to be a mentor and a life coach for people in, who are 16, 17 years old. So the kids are great. My sense is that parents are much more involved in their day-to-day lives, I think, than they were in our lives. You know, my parents, and again, we kind of joked a lot about my high school days and how, you know, but like, I don't know. My parents weren't always like on top of my case. Well, it also, it also right? seems like your parents, like they sometimes said, you know, our kid is not perfect, right? Yeah, like, they were like not, not perfect mistakes. and it's fine. Right. And it's like, and, and also I think to an extent, like, it's not that they would like side with the teacher or the coach all the time, but it was like, okay, you know, your coach tells you to do that. That's what right. you're supposed to do, right? Agreed, or, yeah. But more so than that, because the parents are also great, by the way. The parents are great. They care. They love their kids. They want them to have great experiences. But I also do think that with the current social media 24-7, I mean, guys, kids are like locked in to their phones and their iPads and their screens nearly every waking hour. And I have seen a significant decrement in their ability to communicate in usual you know, means, meaning they text really well. I think they post on Instagram really well, but they have a very difficult time like just communicating with one another, communicating, I think, even with their coaches on the court, making eye contact, their attention spans, I feel, are less. I've had to realize, I have this thing called the rule of three. Okay, the rule of three is anything more than three things, will get. Well, they, they're not gonna process. So if I have three critical, like strategic game plan points that I wanna make, I can make up to three. Because if I get to four or five, they're gone. Okay, and have had to come up with other ways of sort of engaging and connecting them. So it is a different way, but... The kids themselves are, are fantastic. I do think that they're being raised very respectfully. I mean, the kids are, yeah, they're very respectful. I, I do think, though, that I had to adjust to the way that they learn and process differently than probably when we were Can you discipline school. them? Can you yell at them? Can you tell them to sit on the side, kick them? Yeah, uh, kick them. Well, no, no, not kick them. I'm <laughs> saying, kick them out of practice, I'm saying. Sure, and but the thing is, is that that's the other thing. Which but, you, by the way, right. this is a really important point. Well, then they'll just post it. No, right? no, no, no. Well, <laughs> another important point is that I think that kids are very self-conscious of criticism. You have to make it very clear to them that it is not about them. So if I say, hey... I'd like you to put a body on a guy and box him out with this kind of method. I want you to reverse pivot and do whatever. And then they don't do it. I go, you know, you know, Joey, you know, you gotta box him out like that. Now Joey thinks he's a bad kid. And I, you have to almost remind them like, whoa, whoa, this has nothing to do about you as a person, you know? Or we do film session and like you call someone out on film session and now they feel all, you know. Film session. Yeah, right? We didn't have that. (laughs) You could be tough on the kids. I think what's important, by the way, this should have happened years ago too that didn't happen. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, I try my best to show them how much I truly care about them as people. So yeah, when we're on the court, I'm their coach and we focus on basketball. But honestly, the moment that a game is over or practice ends, yeah, I'm not like buddy-buddy with them. And I think these days also, you have to be really careful yeah. about relationships between adults and, and teenagers, right? But 
I try my best to connect with them and say, listen, I just want you to know, like I am a potential resource for you, a sounding board. If you ever need any help, if you're going through a difficult time and you just sort of feel like you don't want to, can't talk about it with your parents, your friends. I ask kids just about their lives. You know, what are you, what are you thinking of doing? You going to Israel next year? How are things? Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll just randomly, or if I have a sense, I'll say, everything going on okay in your life off the court? You know, you're struggling with anything because, and I'll tell them, I will share with these kids my struggles. I think modeling is so important. When kids realize it's okay to struggle, to have setbacks, to have stress, to have anxiety. We playfully went through my, my, my pedigree and my CV that you can look up on the internet. And if you just look at it there, right? Some might be impressed, some might not be impressed. That's not what matters. What people need to understand is that I've had struggles and setbacks too. Yeah, I've climbed the ranks and have had some you know, nice success professionally. And I talk about it with them. I talk about with them the time that I thought I deserved the promotion to a very, very high spot in my job. And they went with someone else and not me. And that was like really disappointing. And it was one of the first times in my life I had to deal with that level of disappointment. And you start saying, Maybe I'm, I'm not adequate, et cetera. And then you realize, wait a second, it's okay. And you, but just to tell them like, hey, perfectionism these days I think is running rampant. Kids have to realize that mistakes are good things. We're too outcome oriented and it's about the journey and the growth mindset and all that. So I've had a really good opportunity here to not only understand kids better now, but I think through my experiences, both as a, a young person who at one point was in their shoes, and now where I am today, and understanding that I went through a circuitous route to get to where I am. See, that's very interesting, because in know? contrast, yeah. Jordan, do you think you can name all the players on your team? How much time do you spend a week, you think, during the season? I spend an inordinate amount of time, which is challenging, Sure. because yes, I do have this day job, I have a family, I've got other right. things. I also tend to be this like all-in or all-out kind of guy. So with, with these guys, and I ask a fair amount of them, I say, look, let's be all in. Let's go try to do something special with our, this team this season. It's obvious if you listen to this podcast that like Yoel still thinks about Edicom basketball <laughs> every single day. But here's the thing. I, I know he does it though with exceptionally fond memories and he goes down memory. It's because it's, it's one of those rare things. You don't remember so much like, you know, your history class, et cetera, but the bonding and the connecting you do with your buddies it, it, those formidable years are really special, right? Nearly no one else is going on to play college and professional sports. So it's that, that, that one time where they get to take, I call it AP basketball, and we treat it that way. Guys, think about what you have to do. I mean, there's time management and, and adversity and you know communication skills and leadership and setbacks and all these things that you have to do in this space of varsity basketball. And to be get to be a part of helping them through that is rewarding. So yeah, we all want to win on the court and we've had some success, which is nice. But I think the bigger picture is, you know, having a chance to have an indelible impact uh, on these kids' lives. Well, John, I think that's a, that's a really fat last line, <laughs> Jordan, and then you can finish up. I just want to know, did the basketball team lose any players to the fencing team? Okay, Jordan, can take it away. Great, great, great John. It's a fascinating perspective, and obviously, we really appreciate you coming on. But I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't. You know, we have a very prestigious doctor in front of us. Uh, you know, maybe just a, a quick medical question. Maybe yeah, sure. So I don't have to call up. You know, whatever Northwest. You know, go through the whole process. John, can you diagnose something potentially, or at least try? What would you call it? Do you think it's some? 
you know, a huge, weird medical phenomenon issue. Um, if I were to tell you that I know someone that automatically sneezes repeatedly after eating chocolate, <laughs> <laughs> like, is that what, what would you say is wrong with them? Yeah. It's not just chocolate, by the way. There's, there's, a, there's a funny reflex that affects people. And, and I think the one that's more familiar to people is actually sun exposure. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of people yeah. when they walk outside and Sneeze. they get exposed to sun, they start sneezing. It's, I, I don't know the precise pathway Our for Jordan, how that happens. But actually, that does, not always, but especially when I was younger, <laughs> sometimes I would eat chocolate. I would go into like a 12 <laughs> sneeze fit and, and also the sun, which... Pre-COVID, right? In was, the sun, you also got it? Sometimes, not always. It is Maybe that's in reaction. I, I hear that when you sit out, even at the beach or at the pool, some odd practice of yours is that you, you're always wearing socks. Is that accurate? <laughs> I think I, I tend maybe to... It has, maybe the sneezing has something to do no, with that. No, I don't think it's socks. I do think what happens is that when I come out to like you know sit out or whatever, I'm in my, my gym shoes, my socks. I'm thinking I'm going to do more something athletic, you know, like throw a ball around outside or, oh, you cut that gym shoes or, or do something. Yeah, and then, but then of course I'm sitting there and people are like, why are you in? <laughs> like, it's like 90 degrees. Perhaps <laughs> an overexposure to socks. Or, 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 or perhaps um, you think back to the time when you were playing football and someone came to the huddle with, with mittens on. <laughs> so maybe that, might, maybe that should be the last one. But when Yo and I were in Israel, in addition was to, this, is this your greatest disappointment? I know all this it's, professional it's, disappointments. It's a hundred percent in the top five. <laughs> um, I don't want to commit to it being the number one, but it was big. We had a very good team in the football league, and I think we thought we were going to win the whole thing. And I and we were in the fourth quarter, <laughs> driving to win the game. And just a little background: okay. this is you know the the big football the league, American Israel, football league in there's Israel. There's big blue. There's all these you know teams, older guys, guys. And I'm not going to actually say the person's name because I don't want to make them feel bad. I still once in a while make them feel bad when I see them. <laughs> oh, but, every time I see them, I okay. say something. So, and by the way, and this is this is going to build on Yol's ego a little bit. Too. <laughs> there we go. This just right so place. you know, it's okay. It's okay. The truth is, Yol and I had a tremendous connection as a quarterback receiver duo. Okay, I mean, I'm probably through something like 37 touchdown passes to Yol in the course of the season. Okay, it was like. I had enough other guys that I can kind of keep to be them clear. Honest. To be clear, Jason yeah. was not on that team. No, he right? wasn't. Okay. And neither was Aaron Goldman. <laughs> so, so, so I was looking Yoel's way a lot, and we're driving, and we're like at the ten yard line, the twelve yard line, you know, a minute to go, and we come into the huddle, and this is a critical play, and this other receiver fourth down, third or I feel fourth down, fourth down. fourth down. You're going to go for it to win the game, and he says to me, John, you don't understand. I am wide open. They are not even covering right, me. I had two, three yeah, guys out. Yeah, yeah, not even covering me. Like, I am truly wide open. And I'm thinking to myself, really? <laughs> like, okay. And I look at him, and the kid is wearing <laughs> thick, heavy, guys, not gloves, mittens. <laughs> mittens as a wide receiver. So I go, wait, we'll take those off. And he goes, no, no, trust me, trust me. I'm fine. I, I can catch with that. And, and you know, there's like the, the, the play clock or whatever. I'm like, all right, so uh, fine. So we get the play. I, I still remember to this day going back to pass. It's all about look one way, throw the other, fake a pass to make a pass. That's how you teach kids these days. That's what you're supposed to do. I turn my body to look at Yoel purposefully as a decoy. And everyone, of course, thinks I'm going that way. I probably even do like a subtle ball fake 
I then turn my body, and sure enough, he was not lying. He is open by 50 to 60 feet. No one in his. And I loft him a spiral pass. It is literally going into his hands. And to the point that it was like, it was one of those where like in the movies, they'd slow-mo it. And I start putting my two arms up, walking backwards with the touchdown sign. Like Joe Montana. Yeah, like, wow, we just won like the championship. And I'm walking backwards and it hits <laughs> his hands and it starts to like go up in the air. Like and now out. you see he's trying to like, oh no, oh no. Yeah. And it's like, no, right? And it hits the ground and we lose. Right, they drove the game. And that was it. And it was really disappointing. Uh, but to this day. What oh, can God. you do? But again, that, that's listen, by the way, the highs and the lows, it's actually probably really good to also have those moments in your life. Like it happened. It was it, it you get through it, you now you joke about it. It's just life. But like, yeah, it was it was do pretty you, disappointing. Josh, do you know who has that attitude? <laughs> Losers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Guys, right. John, it's been awesome coming on. Thanks so much. My pleasure. 